You want to talk about something serious this morning? Something serious? I, I, I was thinking this topic that I've got here today, that the relationship between faith and reason, and whether there's room for faith in this scientific age of reason that we live in, that's really what we're going to look at this morning. I thought, why do I always get the topic that's just nowhere near as interesting as everything that's gone before it? I mean, we just talked about sex and things like that, didn't we? And uh, I, I only caught the end bit, actually, and something about being able to... You're, it's okay to walk around in your house nude. That's... <laughs> sounds pretty good. Um, I'm glad to hear that. Uh, so is my neighbour, actually. He's here as well. And... Uh, Hey, come on. Uh, and, uh, and, and of course, yesterday we had how to run an ultra marathon and had Jamie up here doing squats, which is just far more exciting, isn't it, than faith and reason. So if, if I get boring, just someone wave and I'll start doing some squats for you, okay? <laughs> Not as good as Jamie, I know, but uh, I'll give it a go. This is, I do want to say, it's an important topic and area for us to look at and think through together because it will be the case that you will find yourself in discussions with people, with friends, with family, with your kids about the concept of whether there's a clash between having a faith and science and the evidence and and observations we make in science. And it'll usually go something along those lines. Um, Well, isn't Christianity just a religion, so you need to have faith to believe in Christianity, but we live in the age of of reason and science, and so doesn't science disprove God? Hasn't the existence of science mean that we don't need to have a faith anymore because we can explain the world that we live in? I want to say no, not at all. In fact, it's quite the opposite. There are stacks of recognised, reputable scientists who are also men and women of faith. And I'll say it like this. It actually takes just as much faith to be a scientist as it does to be a Christian. Let me explain. First thing we need to do is clarify what we mean by faith. Because traditionally and originally, the word faith meant something different from the way we use it today. The more popular modern use of the the word faith and the concept of faith is usually this, that faith, when people talk about faith, they're talking really about something that's you describe as blind faith, yeah? Where you you decide to put your trust, your faith in something despite the evidence. In the absence of any evidence or support, you have faith. That's usually the way faith is used these days, blind faith. And you can see it all the time, particularly in movies. Um, I'm not sure if you've seen the most recent Superman movie, Man of Steel. There's that classic scene that's in many movies where the main actor will walk into a church because they're in a time of turmoil and what they attempted to do, they're feeling like they can't do it anymore, all the evidence around them tells them not to do it. And there's the man of steel decides to walk into a traditional looking church and sit down in a, in a point of anxiety um, until the priest comes in and the priest says that classic line to him when the priest discovers that the man of steel is in a bit of turmoil and not sure whether he can go through with the plans because it might not work. The man of faith says to the man of steel, he says, Sometimes you just need to take a leap of faith. Yeah? How many times have we heard that line before? In other words, over and against any kind of reason or despite any kind of evidence, sometimes you've just got to believe and do it. That's the way people use the word faith these days. 
But that's actually not what faith is. The original meaning of the word faith, the traditional sense of faith, in fact, the way the faith is used in the Bible, the Christian faith is not like that at all. It's not belief in the absence of evidence. Christian faith, traditional faith, is the decision to trust based on available evidence. Yeah, that's actually what faith is. And that is what Christian faith is. Observe information, weigh it up, and make a decision based on the available evidence. And you see that right through the Scriptures. And I'll start with one of the, one of the main writers of the New Testament documents, Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke and he wrote Acts as well, is certainly a writer who actually calls people to have faith in Jesus. He calls people to put their belief in Jesus. But he doesn't, he, what he does first before he calls people to faith is he actually, as a historian, goes out there and carefully investigates all the details of Jesus' life. He interviews eyewitnesses. He gathers together all the evidences. He presents it in a format that's actually easy to understand and read, and then he calls people to faith. Can you see what he's doing? The New Testament writers don't say, just, just have faith in Jesus, despite all the evidence. No, they gather all the evidence together. They say, look at it now have faith, which is basically to say, trust in the evidence. That's what Christian faith is, essentially, trust in the evidence. And we, do, we actually display this kind of trust, we display this kind of faith in, in, in lots of different areas of life, big and small. Let me give you a few examples. You, you are currently having faith in the chair that you're sitting in, yeah? You are trusting that the chair you're sitting on will hold your weight why? It, it, it's probably not blind faith, is it? You, you've made some calculations before you sat down in that chair. You probably had a little look at it before you sat in it, gave it a wiggle. You looked around, you thought, oh, it appears to be holding everyone else's weight. You know, it, it may be from personal experience, you've sat in one of these chairs before, and so you'd say, okay, it's probably going to hold my weight again. In other words, you've, you've, you've made observations, you've, you've weighed up those observations, yeah, and that's why you'll put your trust in that chair. And now would be the perfect time for somebody's chair to just collapse, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah? Just give it a moment. <laughs> no, I just thought that would be perfect if that happened. Um, and that does happen. Sometimes we find that we've actually misplaced our trust and misplaced our faith, probably because we've made our calculations have been a bit off. We haven't noticed a crack in one of the legs or something like that. But basically, that's a faith that you're exhibiting now. You exhibit faith when you drive across a bridge in your car. Why? Oh, you might trust in the, the legislation of our country to do with constructional engineering and things like that, that the bridges are going to be safe to drive across. You've seen other people drive across the bridge before. You've driven across the bridge before. So you effectively trust and you have faith as you drive across the bridge or through a tunnel. Sometimes you, anyone still freaked out when they drive under the Sydney Harbour through that tunnel? You know, I'm still looking out my window, just waiting to see little cracks appear and water start dribbling down, yeah? But, but I drive through because I trust that the, the civil engineers and the constructional engineers just, you know, have got their stuff right before they go and build that tunnel. That, that is faith, yeah? Trust based on evidence. Sometimes we find, though, that our faith is misplaced, yeah? We've put too much trust in something without gathering together the evidence. Now, friends, science works in the very same way. Science is that. It's basically gathering the evidence and coming to a hypothesis or a conclusion. Um, you, 
and all the different disciplines of science do the same thing. They observe the facts, well, so they, they observe the data, they calculate things, they gather it together and then they propose a conclusion. The problem with, in the area of science, it's often, the conclusion that's proposed is often held up as the objective scientific fact. When, to be completely honest, it ought not be referred to in that way as objective scientific fact. It should be referred to probably more accurately as evidence up until this day points towards this type of conclusion. That, that would be a fairer thing to say in science. And in fact, the way you want to talk about conclusions in the scientific world is that they are faith-based conclusions. They're never called that, but in the, science, in the world of science, it's... It takes just as much faith. It's the same thing. You're putting your trust in something based on evidence. And sometimes in the scientific world, actually many times in the scientific world, we find that there's been a misplaced trust in a conclusion. And let me just give you a few different examples. One from a couple of hundred years ago, back in the 1500s, there was an assumption about the way the universe worked called the geocentric system. And that was held by everyone. You know what the geocentric system is, don't you? You remember that? Basically, the world believed, because of our expert calculations, that the earth, we, were at the centre of all things and everything revolved around us. Yeah? The sun revolved around us, all the planets revolved around us. Geocentricity, it was called, and every, it was widely held. Until a fellow named Copernicus came along, who was a mathematician, and he started doing calculations and scratching his head and thinking, hang on, it just doesn't add up. It appears as though we may not be at the centre. And this revolution began, called the Copernicus. Copernican revolution, right, where he, his calculations helped us to think that actually we're not at the centre. The sun appears to be at the centre. And later you've got Galileo and then you've got Isaac Newton doing even more detailed calculations and showing more convincingly that actually the heliocentric view is the more correct one according to the information we have at the moment, which is that the sun is at the middle and we revolve around it. And that's just to kind of say, that's just one little example from a few hundred years ago to say that the, the, the scientific fact that everyone held as true, actually, in the light of new evidence, was discarded. And we had misplaced our trust. We had misplaced faith in that fact. Now, it continues to happen in the scientific world. Have you heard of the neutrino? Let me bore you with some stuff you might not be interested in. Have you heard of the neutrino? Come on. Just follow me on this one. Um, modern physics... The bedrock of modern physics is Einstein's special theory of relativity. And one of the key aspects to Einstein's special theory of relativity is the fact that in a vacuum, nothing travels faster than the speed of light. Okay? Bored yet? In fact, our understanding of the way light travels has developed over time as well. We used to think it was waves, but then, it, then when we looked at it in more detailed, it, it appeared to be a particle, and then we like. It's, it's like light is a wave and a particle. And so let's make up a new word. We'll call it a photon. So light travels in photons. Anyway, we're making it up as we go along. That's what science is, okay? But more recently, the whole basis of modern physics, Einstein's theory of relativity has been challenged as many scientists are discovering that there's actually something else that appears that can travel faster than light. It's called a neutrino. We're just making up words, Okay. A neutrino appears to be travelling faster than light. And if that's the case, then one of the bases for modern physics is being challenged at the moment. So when we talk about objective scientific facts, it's more accurate to say evidence up until this point points towards this conclusion. Science is faith-based. It's trust 
placed in a certain area based on the evidence we have up to this point. You with me? That's science, okay? Now, I'm not, a, I'm not a scientific expert at all. I always was amazed by science as I kind of grew up and did do a degree in science, atmospheric science, which just taught me how to predict the surf. I've shared that with you before, haven't I? But <laughs> there, there are many others here of far more experts at science, and you can talk with them about it. Let me kind of, kind of wrap up what I'm trying to say by explaining how this works in Christianity. Christianity is trust that's a decision to trust based on available evidence. And I tell you what, I want to share my story about how I've come to put my trust in Christianity. Because you can do it by making observations from science, biology, philosophy, archaeology, personal experience, and then make a decision for the existence of God. And I would encourage you to do that. To become a Christian and, and to believe in the Christian God is not blind faith. It's weighing up the evidence and making a decision based on that evidence. My story goes like this, though. I believed initially not because I examined all the evidence and weighed it up and then made a calculated decision. I believed initially simply because I was brought up in a believing family. Now, not everyone here had that. I considered it a great privilege to be brought up in a believing family. And as I got brought up in the belief about God and the Christian God, it actually made sense of the world I live in. So it made sense to me from a very young age to adopt the faith of my parents. However, as I grew into an adult, my faith was challenged by my culture because we live in a secular culture, by and large. So anyone who grows up in any type of faith will have that challenged by the culture that they live in. So when some people talk about, this is just a little aside, when some people talk about, oh, kids that get brainwashed from an early age, I think, <laughs> no, all kids learn what their parents believe from an early age, but all kids grow into young adults. You know what happens when they become young adults or adults? They, they reassess life. They discard what their parents have taught them if they think it's a joke. And you won't meet very many adults who have not gone through even a small level of process of reassessing life and, and, and asking whether that makes sense as they look at the evidence. And this was the case for me, absolutely. So as I grew into an adult, I had my faith challenged by the culture that we live in. And I discovered, and, and sorry, I discovered that there wasn't much historical and scientific evidence that pushed against my faith. If I had discovered lots of evidence which actually pushed against my Christian faith, I would have had to reconsider it. But as I looked into the sciences and into all different other kinds of evidences, what I found was this, that they did nothing but confirm my beliefs and support the claims of Christianity. And let me just give you a little glimpse of some of the things that I've seen over the years which support the beliefs that I grew up with. Biochemistry. Who's into that? I was. I remember loving biology when I was in high school and I remember being particularly amazed by what happens inside of a cell in your body. Yeah? And when you look at the amazingly intricate and precise biological systems that are in place, I would often be led towards thinking, how could that exist without an incredible and an intelligent designer of that? Like the mitochondria is an amazing thing, yeah? It's like the, it's like the power plant within a cell. Do you remember the um, ribosomes in the cell? Do you remember, who remembers year 10 biology? Do you remember what a ribosome does? It is amazing, right? Ribosomes are where protein is produced. And proteins still boggle us. 
Because every protein is put together by some complex string and chain of amino acids, and amino acids are these precisely engineered moving parts which form a protein. And they, amino acids, are not only moving parts, but they couple together for chemical events. And as I look at proteins and the way they're strung together inside of ribosomes, inside of the cell, I'm just blown away. And it leads me to be thinking, someone designed this. How could such intricate systems exist without an intelligent designer? And you know, engineering today continues to be simply an attempt to replicate and copy natural biological systems. We're just trying to play catch-up. And that's all we ever will do, try and play catch-up in far as engineering systems with what God has designed. It's phenomenal. Now, I'll add a few more things. Astronomy and physics have, through their calculations, come to the, I think, relatively consistent conclusion that our universe is expanding. Yeah? And, and, and the majority of astronomy and physics make calculations, particularly the red shift with the Hubble telescope. This universe is moving outward. And most suggest that it's been moving outward for about 14 billion years. And I actually think that makes a fair bit of sense. Moving outwards meaning it came from a point in its origin. So astronomy and physics would actually say the universe is moving and expanding from the point of singularity, the beginning of the universe. So the vast majority of physicists and astronomers say the universe had a beginning. And that's a really important thing to acknowledge. Because if the universe had a beginning, then philosophy comes into play and says that anything that has a beginning must have had a cause for it to have a beginning. Now, I didn't, I didn't know I was doing philosophy in my head when I was a kid, and I didn't know it was called the cosmological argument for the existence of God, but here's how it worked for me. When I looked at the, when I looked at the, the, the universe in existence and, and, and saw that it must have had a beginning, and then saw science pointing to the fact that it did have a beginning, then in my mind it went like this. Well, if this place had a beginning then there must have been something or someone that began it. Something or someone that sat outside of the space-time continuum that actually caused it to begin. That's just philosophy 101, and no one challenges that concept, that if something had a beginning, it must have had a cause. But that's the cosmological argument for the existence of God. I didn't know I was doing that in my head when I was young. You probably don't know either. And basically, philosophy is just trying to find big words and then attach them to concepts that just are logical to us anyway, right? So, so, so astronomy, physics, philosophy... And actually, we had the privilege of having one of the, one of the most um, world-renowned philosophers of these days, who is also a Christian, come and spend some time with us just a couple of months ago and speak for us here. William Lane Craig is a really well-recognised philosopher, and he made a really good point when he was here with us. One of the things about, that I appreciate about some philosophers is they can help complex um, ideas just actually... They can present them in really simple ways so you understand them and you, you, you nod your head. That's what William Lane Craig's really good at. And, and if you were here with us, you would have heard him do this one. He, he basically says, if the, if the universe did have a beginning, and most people would call that beginning the Big Bang. In the scientific world, everyone would say, that's, how, that's when the universe began. It began as something like a bang. And William Lane Craig says, well, if that's the case, if science is pointing towards a Big Bang then science is pointing towards 
a creator of the Big Bang. And so William Lane Craig just kind of goes, if, if, if it did happen by a Big Bang, that points to the existence of God. Because he says, the Big Bang is just like the Little Bang. Did you hear this one when he did it? It was brilliant. He said, the, the Big Bang is just like the Little Bang. When you hear a Little Bang, the first question you ask is, what was that? Because your, your assumption is, if something happened and made a noise and had a beginning, then something caused that, you know? So let, let, let's see if we can kind of do that here this morning. Let's say we hear a noise like this, <laughs> right? Do you need me to do some squats? No, you're all right. You're with me, aren't you? Come on. <laughs> now, what's your question? What was that? What the beep was that? I'm freaking out, right? And, and kind of behind that question, what was that, is something must have caused that, right? Something or someone must have caused that. Now, you ask me that question and I go, you say, what was that? And I go, oh, nothing. <laughs> Are you happy with that answer? Oh, no, no, nothing caused that. Of course something caused that. Something caused that little bang. It was Glenn over there. I lined him up to do it, all right? I was looking for the most evil man in the building. And he. he was a... And just like something caused that little bang, something caused the big bang. Someone caused the big bang. My point is this. When you look at the evidence of science, you know, physics, astronomy, um, when you look at philosophy, it points towards the existence of God. And, you know, the thing that moves me then from simply believing in the existence of God, which is to call yourself a theist, to moving towards becoming a Christian theist, which is to believe in the Christian God, is to actually look at history. Yeah? Science points consistently to the existence of God, a God. History points us very clearly towards examining, points us and leads us towards being a Christian theist and adopting the Christian view. And, I, and I'll, just, I'll just say a few brief things about that, because my time's up. When you look at history, and a lot of history is based on, you know, the diggings of archaeology. We dig up artefacts. One of the most important artefacts that we continually discover are early historical writings, manuscripts, documents, hundreds of them, thousands of them. And particularly to support the claims of Christianity and Christian deism, we have found so many early manuscripts that give us confidence that support the biblical documents, which is, to, which is support for the existence of the historical figure Jesus. We're going to be looking at it this weekend in church. But there is so much evidence, in fact, it's overwhelming, the historical evidence. This is according to historians secular and Christian, the, 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 the evidence is overwhelming to support the historical figure of Jesus and even the details of his life, not just his existence, but what he did, what he said, that he died and that he rose again from the dead. There is astounding historical evidence that leans and points towards those things being true in such a way that if you are to look seriously at history, you will be forced to consider Jesus' own claims about himself. And he very clearly claimed to be God. 
Science supports, for me, as I look at the evidence, supports the existence of God. History tips me towards seeing that God is the Christian God. Okay? So coming right back to that initial question, does the existence, does the fact that we are an age of reason and scientific reason and historical reason mean there is no longer a need for faith? No, no, no. Faith is simply trust based on the evidence. You look at the evidence, it will lean you towards the Christian God. There you go. I'm just throwing that all out there. And I've, have I gone over time? I'm okay. We've got time for questions. So feel free to fire up and fire back at me. And I'll just direct your question to someone else in the room. Okay? Okay. Tim. Glenn over there. Glenn can answer your questions. The noise man. Tim, yep. that was really interesting. Um, just a quick question. You keep saying that we can look at the evidence. Mm. Where is that evidence to look at? Where would we find that evidence to actually look at it and mm. how can we assess mm. if it's true? Mm. That's a good question. If you jump on the computer and you Google questions, usually the top few answers that come up in Google will not be from reputable experts in the area of the field you've asked the question. So I would probably recommend Googling is not the best way to get towards the experts. What you want to do, if you're asking a philosophical question, you want to go to websites or books where you've got reputable philosophers and recognise philosophers speaking into it. Okay? So I could recommend certain websites and certain books, but basically you just want to talk to the experts. If someone's making a claim about the fact that Jesus was not a historical figure, ask who that person is. Are they a recognised historian? And if they are, you want to listen to what they're saying. But if they're not, and any, actually, the only people who are claiming that I'm getting into the content for this weekend, but the only one who dares to make the suggestion that Jesus didn't actually exist are not recognised historians, because all recognised historians will say the same thing. All the evidence points towards the fact that he did. So how do you get to the facts? Research, books, but go to the experts. Try to find the guys that are actually men and women who are recognised in their field, if you're going to listen to people, yeah. So if there was somebody here today who said, okay, I want to look at the evidence, yep. um, where would you point them? Is there some kind of program at church or something that they could go to? <laughs> She's good, isn't she? <laughs> this is all set up and I just wasn't aware of it. <laughs> Yeah, we've got things for people who want to look at stuff more. Does it have a name? <laughs> totally, yeah, yeah. So over the years, we've had stacks of people who are wanting to look into these things and investigate things, come along to a program we run or a course we run called Life. Yeah? Is that what you want me to yeah, say? Yeah, fantastic. Okay. Uh, but like Herdy said, you know, what we're doing in January is kind of some of the key things that we do in life just kind of spread out over the month, so... Yeah, join us for church. Yeah. That's great. Well, we'll take a few questions yeah. from out there. Yeah. One here. Um, can we have a mic? Um, this question actually comes from my 13-year-old son. Mm. Uh, if the Big Bang or that something came out of nowhere, therefore points to a creator, mm. his question is then who created the creator? Yeah, isn't good. there an infinite line going back? Yeah, good, good. Yeah, so there's the, um, there's an, if I could tell you, um, if the creator was created by someone, 
It's an, it's an infinite rolling question, isn't it? Because you go, well, who created that one? Well, this other guy, he's bigger. Oh, well, who created him? Oh, well, this other... You keep going until you've, you've, got to, you've got to end at a point where there is the unmoved mover of all things. And actually, that is what we conceive of as God. Anyone who was made by someone else is not God. You've got to get to that final end point where there is the one who existed before anything else and is the one who is the causer of everything else. That is the concept of God. Yeah. So there must have been someone who existed outside of our space-time continuum to begin what we experience as the universe. And we conceive of that as God. Anybody else with a question? Well, just stretching. Oh, there's one at the back. Hi, Tim. I understand that not everyone has a PhD in philosophy. So if, if we're not exactly astute in thinking about, you know, space-time continuum, all those, you know, very philosophical words, is it, is it possible where... Um, uh, we can get things, philosophical matters um, and biblical matters explained to us um, in words and terminology that, you know, anyone, the general public can understand? Yeah, totally. I only throw in the big words just so you, it sounds like I know what I'm talking about. And uh, <laughs> that's what most other people do too. The, things are not as complicated as they're often first made out to be. Seriously, philosophy is just logic of looking around, just giving big words. And science is not that hard to get a head around it well. I'll give you, there's one particular website called Be Thinking. I love that website. I only discovered it recently. Craig put me onto it. And in this website, it's got three different categories. It's got for beginners, for intermediate, and for experts. It's really good. And often the articles in the beginning section is just, they're just shorter, more simple language, explaining the same context, con concepts just in a briefer setting. So, so there are some websites that are more helpful for that. You pick up Stephen Hawking's book, his most recent book, and he'll just baffle you with terminology. And the funny thing is, the guy's a mathematician, a physics mathematician, but he spends the first third of his book making philosophical claims, which he ought not be doing, because that's not what he's an expert in. So it's hard to wade through some of, some of the, um, the books that get thrown out there. Yeah, it's kind of tricky, so that website's good, bethinking.org. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, let's put our hands together for Tim. Thank you so much. Get my hair. Get my hair. <laughs>